I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio is the FT's chief regulation correspondent, Brooke Masters, and Daniel Schaefer, investment banking correspondent. This week, we'll take a look at the FSA's ban and fines on ex-UBS advisors being upheld. This is the final, we think, twist in a really long-running six-year saga. We'll discuss Barclays' plans to sell its entire stake in BlackRock. The main reason, really, why they're selling it is that under the incoming Basel III capital regulations, it's going to be just prohibitively expensive to own such a stake in in another financial holding company. And finally, we'll look at the Bank of England and the shock news, really, that there is going to be, after all, an investigation into their handling of the 2008 crisis. They're not just reviewing what happened in the crisis. They're doing three crucial reviews for their future responsibilities as bank regulators. First, though, to UBS. Brooke, we've just had news that uh, a former wealth management desk head at UBS has been fined over a million pounds and banned from working in the UK uh, over this unauthorised trading debug. Just remind us what exactly happened and how big this is in terms of news. This is the final, we think, twist in a really long running six year saga dating back to basically 2006, 2007, when UBS discovered that its Asia 2 desk, which was essentially a uh, desk serving rich clients based in India and Pakistan and that part of the world, had utter control failures. And among other things, they were making trades randomly and then booking them to accounts depending on how they did. UBS paid an eight million pound fine in 2009 over this. At that time, that was quite a big fine. It's they've since gotten tougher at the FSA, but back then it was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. This is the desk head. Um, his name is Sachin Carpe. He's he's been fined quite a large fine for an individual, and he the reason it's taken so long is he has fought the case all the way to the tribunal, which is the first real judicial body. Although he has now said, having lost the tribunal, he's not going to take it to court. So this should be done. So this should draw a line under the whole escapade because it's obviously not particularly pleasant for the bank to be dragged through the mire on this all the time but also for mr carpe who's presumably doing something else now yeah he's, he was certainly he was fired for cause yeah from ubs yes uh he, he's not an authorized person at the moment no. with any luck ubs can now say we're done with this set of unauthorized trading of course we have the next set of unauthorized trading coming up yeah i was gonna ask daniel about that actually because <laughs> that's obviously gonna dominate the coverage of, of ubs in the news over the over the summer when kweku adaboli is um, coming to trial. Yeah, I mean that's the problem for UBS in a way. It, it, it's the past keeps on haunting it. When, yeah. they, when they what they really want to do is leave everything behind and yes. you know, you know uh, just concentrate on on their core wealth management business and on a slightly small investment bank. Yeah. But um, and now they have closed this final chapter, which is will be a relief for them. But in September the trial will start on the alleged unauthorized trading two point three billion. Yeah. So that's gonna again create really big headlines. 
about UBS, everybody will be will be asking the questions about their risk controls, about their compliance again, and how this all came about. So, and it's so, huge work preparing for that trial, I guess. I mean, you know, from from the UBS people I've talked to, it's it's the only thing that they're thinking about is preparing for that trial yeah. at the moment. <laughs> yeah, As, I mean, yeah. some people connected directly with it, obviously. But how long is it going to go on? What 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 kind of ramifications are there yeah. going to be from it? And I think it's going to carry on for quite a while. I don't know how long. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not very experienced. I think it's yeah months. Uh, so it will be at, uh, maybe maybe 2013 even. So you know, f- for UBS, it will mean also that from an internal perspective, it's going to be d- difficult. They've been trying since years to bring the fragile cultural relationship between the investment bank and the wealth management closer together. And talking to people inside UBS, they're saying, you know, we almost gotten there, and then the Quaker thing came, and you yeah. know, it all or reopened old rifts in, yeah. in terms of, the, and that's and that's just going to carry on during the trial and during w- when all these headlines will still be there. And it's just going to make internal refocusing more difficult. Yeah, it's also problematic in that usually the defense in in authorized trading cases is, in fact, people knew what I was doing. The whole company's terrible. They all do it. So any evidence that Quaku Adabolis lawyers can dig up of more unauthorized trading or other compliance failures will be fair game and will certainly be there out in the open. And that's certainly what happened in this case. There have been a series of cases involving this particular wealth management army, and every time there was a hearing, there'd be some new horrifying detail. Right. Mm. Well, uh, I'm sure UBS will be very glad to get that final one out of the yeah, way they definitely uh, will and be. potentially uh, unscathed come through that. We should move on to our second topic of Barclays. As a lot of our listeners will remember, I'm sure, when Barclays sold its old asset management business, uh, Barclays Global Investors, to BlackRock, the giant US uh, fund manager, a couple of years ago now, they um, retained as part of that deal a large stake in the combined business. But Barclays has said today on Monday that they are now going to sell the whole of that remaining stake, which I think is 20% or so of the, of the, of the oh, fund manager, yeah. which is going to net them quite a lot of money is that why they're selling it because they need the cash (laughs) (laughs) no i don't i don't think that that's the reason uh the the main reason really why they're selling it is that under the incoming basel three capital regulations it's going to be just prohibitively expensive to own such a stake in a in another financial holding company and I mean, it's it's basically it will have a risk weighted asset risk rating, sorry, yeah. of up to two hundred fifty percent. So so it's it's really punitive to hold such a stake yeah. under the incoming rule, which are going to be phased in from two thousand thirteen. So it's quite timely to sell it now. Yeah. And the other element of it is obviously it was you know they they got this in two thousand nine they did this deal at the time it was to to bolster their own capital base as well. Yeah. But this time it's for for different reasons. At the time, they just created a deal with a cash and share structure, but it was never really their strategic aim to get a stake in BlackRock no. and and to have a stake in 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 in, in a fund manager. So it's it's a non-core operation. Yeah. So it's strategically it logical, but also capital yeah. efficient. Yeah. But, um, and also, sure. it's probably a sign of things to come. Part yeah. of the Basel III reforms are aimed at reducing interreliance of big financial companies, so that if one goes bust, it doesn't take seventeen others with it. So I think we will see. Other places where there are legacy holdings where, you know, one bank owns a bunch of a fund manager or something like that, there will be more selling off because it is deliberately designed to be punitive. I mean, the risk weighting is to discourage this so that each tub will stand on its own bottom and won't take everything with it. Now, this was a minority stake, but we've seen, obviously, banks selling out of... Uh, fund management subsidiaries. Deutsche Bank is going through something very similar at the moment, which I guess is a slightly different reasoning behind it. But I, I suppose we'll see more of that, will we? 
Italian. Yeah, I think we will. Yeah, quite a lot of banks have already exited yeah, some asset management business. But um, I mean, Deutsche will still. I think they'll. I mean, they've reduced their ambitions somewhat in in terms of what they want to sell, mm. uh, simply because they didn't uh, they didn't get the price they wanted for for the whole package. But they're they're now selling one small part of it, which is called Reef, yeah, just their infrastructure. Um, uh, they're they're selling that. They, they might end up uh, selling other parts. At least, for instance, the U.S. retail business, which mm. is part of the, of the whole was part of the whole package there they were trying to sell as well so they might they might sell that I mean, the other element for Barclays is that uh, obviously the, I mean, the 20% stake in BlackRock, it didn't really, the share price has fallen in the past three years mm. and it didn't really yield much for them anyway. It was like, I mean, they had maybe a couple of percentage points of, of, of dividend yield. And, and yeah. that's it. If you compare that to, and but, but it does bind capital. So, and if you yeah. compare that to their, to their core businesses, which, uh, which have a return on equity of, well, well in last the first year, quarter, all 6%, but yeah, uh, in the first quarter now, more than 12, I think. More than 12, so, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, it, if it, that's it the direction of their underlying business, then they're, um, they probably want to focus on that rather yeah. than subsidiary holdings. Indeed. Good. Thanks for that, Daniel. Final topic is something you're very excited about, Brooke. I know the, the Bank of England finally, after what, four years, saying that they are going to review their own behavior in the 2008 crisis. Uh, this is something that the FSA has done, something that the Treasury has done, but the bank, as the third element of the tripartite, always said, I don't know that they didn't need to do it or that there wasn't a case to answer or that nobody wanted them to do it but now they're the the court of the bank which is this body that kind of oversees corporate governance there really has said they are gonna they've done something they are gonna do something they've done it in a very interesting package they're not just reviewing what happened in the crisis Mm. they're doing three crucial reviews for their future responsibilities as bank regulators and they're going to basically look at how they provided emergency liquidity assistance to all the banks that almost fell over in the UK and required government assistance. Mm -hmm. They're also going to... I don't think this is just a cover story. These are things that need to be done. But at the same time, they've announced reviews into how they're going to provide liquidity assistance in the future Mm -hmm. and a review into how the MPC does its forecasting. And all all of those are things that need to be done. This is the court which has been accused of being toothless, stepping up and actually trying to do something. They are bringing in outsiders to do the reviews. It's a former deputy governor of the Bank of England who's doing the review of 2008-2009. It's Bill Winter's former investment banking head at JP Morgan who's going to do liquidity assistance more broadly. And then it's an academic who's going to do the MPC review. All of this is very interesting because Mervyn King gave a very rare speech on the BBC earlier this month, basically saying nobody's ever asked us to review how we did. You know, you know, we would do it if somebody asked us to. And what was interesting is the chairman of the Treasury Select Committee, uh, Andrew Tyree, immediately responded and said, well, we want you to do it. Yeah. And so this may be, in fact, they've called his bluff. Yeah, that's very interesting. And what do you think they're going to find. I mean, obviously, it's going to take some time for them to uh, set this up and, and to actually do the work. But it so, needs to be seen to be credible. credible. As well, it needs to it? be seen to be credible. And certainly the FSA and the Treasury reviews were both quite critical about yeah. failures that were made. It's interesting the way it's framed. It's how they provided emergency liquidity assistance. It's not how they managed financial stability, which is where the greatest failing people have seen from the bank. Because Bank of England always had a purpose of financial stability and did basically nothing but give speeches. Mm-hmm. And even those speeches weren't particularly effective. But the emergency liquidity assistance, there there has been a lot of vocal criticism that they didn't step in fast enough mm-hmm. and that they were very resistant to helping out anybody. Um, and so, you know, 
I would think if they focus on that narrow issue, it's less painful and that it's a specific decision that was a difficult one. They can do a very credible review about here's here's what we could have done and how we should have thought about it differently without saying the people who run the bank are, are idiots who fail to live up to their responsibilities because it was a tough call. Yeah. And final thing, what do you think uh, kind of changed their mind? What do you think prompted the court to take this decision? Was it just Andrew Tyree kind of... Um saying something or, or what well, changed? The, there's an ongoing debate about what they're going to do about the court. Mm. As, because as you may remember, we're redoing our regulatory structure. And one of the, the issues that it remains live in the bill that is moving through Parliament that will do this is what kind of governance the Bank of England will have. And at the moment, it's calling for the, the court to stay in existence but be stronger. And this is this assuming you're the court and you want to stay this is this is an argument that really we can do the job you don't yeah. have to reconstitute us we should see this as maybe proof of their uh, resolve to <laughs> they're growing a backbone maintain the status quo but with yeah with a tougher kind of uh, profile thanks very much for that uh, all that's left for me to do is to thank brooke and daniel uh, for their contributions this week and thank you for listening remember you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking banking weekly was produced by katie carney until next week goodbye for more downloads go to ft.com forward slash podcasts mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.